This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money on Sirius XM Channel 132 Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smethers, a professor here in the Wharton campus in Philadelphia, and I'm joining you all by Zoom as we're still in quarantine mode in Philadelphia. And I'll bring you some new content this way until we can resume live shows. But remember, you can also connect with me by going to my website, kentonmoney.com. And if you're looking for a financial advisor. I have a large and growing list of fee-only financial advisors. Remember, that's the type that we want, fee-only. And you can find them on my website, again, kentonmoney.com. So you've been probably watching the coronavirus briefings on television, where officials often share charts, graphs with the public. But where does that data actually come from, and how is it being used? to form these various predictions about that pandemic. And so my guest today is going to give us some insight into that uh, and how that data is being uh, used and why it's so important. Eric Holler is Executive Vice President and Global Head of Experian Data Labs, the research and development arm of Experian, uh, which of course you know has consumer credit bureaus all over the world. And Eric manages four data labs within uh, experience, uh, and uh, they were focusing on things like artificial intelligence and, and fraud, like credit, marketing, and many uh, more issues. Welcome to the show, Eric. Uh, thanks, Ken. It's good to be on. And I gave a brief description of Experian Data Labs in my introduction, but just give us some more detail on what are the type of issues that you guys are working in, in Data Labs. Yeah, sure. So uh, Experian Data Labs is part of Experian Globally, which is uh, uh, data and analytics company uh, with about 17,000 employees that does business in about 40 countries around the globe. We do operate consumer credit bureaus. You mentioned that in your intro uh, in uh, 22 countries, as well as commercial credit bureaus in 17 countries. Here in the U.S., that's about uh, uh, half of our business. We actually uh, have a pretty significant business in healthcare as well. So mm. if you're familiar with the healthcare industry, revenue cycle management, uh, we are in the front end uh, for about 65% of all hospitals in the United States doing patient admission work. And then on the back end, uh, we uh, we manage about 20% of all the claims, healthcare claims that run through the country uh, to make sure that providers for healthcare get paid uh, appropriately. So our labs are the R&D part of Experian. We build products in all of these businesses across all of our geographies. Uh, We have a lab here in North America. We've got one in London, one in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, one in Singapore. Yeah. And, and so when you listen to our public officials talk about utilizing data and models to help them make critical decisions during this time, I mean, can you explain a little bit more about these models and how they work in regards to, to the decisions that are, are being made? Yeah. So, you know, we have a vested interest in this because obviously we're looking at uh, risk around consumers and small businesses. And so this notion of disease spread really introduces quite a bit of risk. And, you know, for for most folks, um, if they follow the news, they're going to hear a lot about uh, uh, two different models that, that catch a lot of attention. One is a model that's been around for about 90 years, or at least the construct of it has been around, which is the SIR model, mm-hmm. which focuses on how uh, disease is spread through a population. Uh, the I in SIR is infected, 
That's kind of the cornerstone of the model. It's looking at the susceptible population, so those who haven't been infected yet, and it's looking at those who are removed from the population, either because they've fully recovered or uh, they've been infected and fully recovered or they've, they've passed away. Um, that model has evolved a bit over time. Actually, I was reading Ken, uh, some of the work that you've done recently around the SEIR plus model, which right. includes a focus on populations of being exposed uh, and, uh, and, and in that case, looking at people who may even be asymptomatic and seeing if the patterns there are different. But that, that construct is used to assess how, how quickly the disease spreads, how it passes from one person to another, uh, and ultimately what that impact is when it, when it does result in serious, in serious illness. It assumes that um, everybody in the population at one point in the very beginning is susceptible, uh, and um, uh, and it has some has some quirks quirks about it that right. I think in the last two or three months uh, a lot of efforts have been underway to try to try to bust through those. But right. the other one which gets a lot of attention is the IHME model, which really is a couple models. Uh, you know, it has the it, it has one look at it which is looking at disease spread. But you know, the IHME had a very specific problem that it was focusing on, which is how should hospitals be planning for the increase in admissions, uh, the number of beds that they were going to have to provide, and the number of ventilators that they would have to have on hand. So what they did is they took a look at disease spread, but really focused on the very tail end of that spread so that they could solve for that problem. Uh, yeah. There's been a couple other models uh, around, kicked around. Uh, one MIT came out with about three weeks ago. Um, I used to keep track, but now it seems like there's so many models coming yeah. up. Everybody's trying to uh, come up with their own perspective on disease spread and how it may impact the problems that they're they're trying to address. MIT was focused on resurgence, purely on resurgence, right. uh, and uh, uh, so they kind of, you know, it was it was less about disease spread uh, um, uh, from maybe the the perspective of. Uh, uh, from the country and, and how it's been spreading since March. But really, if you lifted uh, social distancing, a lifted shelter in place, what would be the immediate impact, which I believe you've considered in your model as well, which is right. Right. Yeah. And the, the model that you're referring to is located at the Penn Wharton budget model website. So people just mm -hmm. want to Google Penn Wharton budget model. And it also integrates with an economics model to inform the epidemiological model. And so let's talk about the data that goes in, into these models. I mean, it, it's often, you know, a, a big challenge uh, getting accurate data, especially a lot of the data that we see is subject to, you know, selection bias and who gets tested and things like that. Uh, so talk a little bit about that and where are some of the big challenges uh, facing mm -hmm. these models? Well, in the very beginning, you know, seeding the model with its first set of data is super challenging. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about uh, when, the, when, when modelers first saw the coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, there was a lot of information that they didn't know. So they had to look at previous epidemics to try to get perspectives of how quickly the, the disease spreads, uh, uh, secondary spreading or secondary infection, and how, and how does, that, does that take place? So they looked at previous viruses or previous epidemics to, to make assumptions. So if you think about the uh, spread rate for influenza from year to year, they, you know, that, that actually was plugged into the initial model before they had enough information from Wuhan to figure out how quickly that secondary spread was. And COVID-19 spreads twice as fast as influenza. So that can have a dramatic impact on the model. Uh, the data now, uh, you know, we have multiple countries to pull from, but, you know, we're still running into some, you know, some real challenges. A real simple example would be defining deaths. Right. You know, you would think that would be super straightforward. Somebody passes away. 
um, you know, the state of New York is defined death. There's uh, uh, confirmed deaths for the virus. There is um, uh, uh, proposed or probable deaths from the virus. And now there's this, this, uh, this discussion about uh, extended mortality. You know, if somebody wasn't able to come into the hospital because of the virus, should that be counted as part of the death rate for COVID-19? Obviously, uh, as a modeler, you'd say no way, but you know, that, those are the kinds of things. So even getting the right definitions on the data to make sure that you're using the same data, uh, you know, reported the same way from every county can be, can be a challenge. Yeah, and as you point out, I mean, that definitions and making sure that we have good data, especially early on to make these forecasts, very challenging. I mean, we even face the same uh, challenge when it comes to the flu, as, as you know, that the CDC has basically stopped counting flu deaths. They, they have a hard time mm -hmm. doing that in a direct way. Instead, they do small little samples and use models to try to predict it. And one of the problems is, of course, is disease experts tell me, you don't die from a virus you die from symptoms associated with the virus right. and so and so the, a lot of times those symptoms are what are, what are listed rather than um, the actual cause and the, sometimes those symptoms of viruses could be are not just you know respiratory they could be heart disease and lots of other things that get triggered uh, and so as we think about this you know the next steps in these models um, you know in this uh, fight whether it's about COVID and how Experian in particular is using you know artificial intelligence and data into present form some of these models, you know, it, what, what's kind of the next evolution here? Well, we're doing a lot of different things. I, I'm most proud of the work that we're doing in Sao Paulo. So we've partnered mm. with the United Nations and the World Health Organization, uh, along with 10 universities in Brazil, uh, and a number of companies that have really joined forces to contribute the data that they have that may be um, uh, uh, influential in a new set of models that we'll be building around disease spread and then obviously our vested interests around consumer vulnerability, uh, financial vulnerability, and business risk exposure. Um, but that area there is a big sandbox. Uh, it's hosted by Amazon. So Amazon, Microsoft, SAP have also all partnered in uh, in, this, in this consortium that we've developed. And um, in that case, things like GPS data. So uh, mm -hmm. if you uh, focus on the IHME and some of the work that they're doing and looking at the impact of compliance with social distancing and compliance with shelter and home, clearly that's gonna have an impact on disease spread. So we have a couple of providers in Brazil that have introduced all of their GPS data so we can bring that as part of the modeling process. So I think a couple of things are gonna happen. One is we're gonna learn what data is probably gonna be more influential than we would typically use. So the, the bigger or the broader we open up the top of the funnel, the more different kinds of data assets we can bring in, the better. I mean, think about uh, like SKU level data, information where, you know, what you purchase in a store may be a leading indicator of whether you're just experiencing with symptoms that could, could be COVID related, or it could be part of a recovery. Confidence is up, you're buying more, you know, uh, pricier, more premium items, and that comes out. So we're, we're kind of opening it up to as much data as we can get in and let the actual analytics or the artificial intelligence flesh out what those signals might be so we can build better models going forward. Yeah, I think it's really neat, especially on the, once you get down to the hospital level data, because you know one of the concerns that faces a lot of these models, including our own, is that we know non-elective surgeries have been postponed and a lot of people are concerned that even though we're thinking of those as 
you know, um, I'm sorry, elective surgeries have been postponed. And, um, mm -hmm. and in particular, a lot of the concern there is even things like open heart surgeries and things like that are often being postponed during this COVID-19 crisis. So a lot of the concern, uh, you know, of course, is that could we actually have deaths resulting from that or premature deaths resulting from some of those delays and non-COVID related um, uh, 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 healthcare. And so what's neat about the data that you're getting is that I, I think eventually you'll be able to see those trade-offs as, as well. For certain. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're trying to do is figure out kind of looking forward where the market's headed. Uh, when, when we all go back to work, uh, you know, it's assumed that the virus will be with us for some time to come. So yeah. we're thinking about how is that going to flare up in communities and how are we going to identify that? So through the claims data that we're capturing in Experian Healthcare, uh, uh, practitioners are already have, have been over the last three weeks uh, instructed to use a specific code around COVID-19 that they would insert in the claims. Now, they're not really using that code so much right now. I like that I can tell you because we see the data coming in. They're not really using the code like they should. Not a surprise. Take time for, for these things to change. However, right. Looking at those other um, uh, uh, inflictions like like uh, like pneumonia, we can pick up, and that's already been coded in there. So things that you're talking about, like what are the impact over the future, we should be able to get a pretty good handle for that. That's you know, just really look, pulling it from the data and then equating it back to to actual what's happened. That's really neat. Uh, fantastic, Eric. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you very much. It's great. We're glad to be here. Yeah, and then. Um, Kent Smithers, and this is Your Money. Uh, remember, you can connect with me online by going to my website at kent.money.com, and you can also link with me on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to learn more about Eric and his terrific work, just Google um, Experian Data Labs, and you'll find out more there. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.